Hello, y'all. Welcome to Art Sipstery, where we discuss all things art history. I'm your host, Sarah, and today we are diving into the life and work of Ansel Adams. Ansel Adams is a well-known photographer, one that many people study in school, and I, for one, have studied his work as well. Side note, he has such a cool name. Like, it rolls so well. Uh, I just, I love it. Anyway, his full name is Ansel Easton Adams, and he was born on February 20th, 1902, in San Francisco to Charles Hitchcock Adams and Olive Bray. Remember, though, San Francisco back in the day was not like it is now. The city was only about 50 years old, and that's not really old at all if you think about it. Now, Ansel's family was well off because his grandfather, who was a timber baron, if any of you are wondering, because I was when I read this, what the hell is a timber baron? Well, I googled it. It's basically a fancy term for running and ruling a logging empire. A logging empire. Who knew such terminology existed? Ansel and his family lived in a beautiful house that overlooked the sand dunes where you could see the Pacific Ocean. I feel like this is probably what made a big impression on Ansel, knowing what his later works are, which we will obviously get into. Later on, in, later on in his life, Ansel states that his earliest memory is watching the fog pass by his house that was high up on a hill. I believe, and I'm sure all the people around him as well, feel that where Ansel grew up was very much uh, formative to the way that he would look at the world and the way that he would create his art. If you look at Ansel Adams, you might notice that he has a crooked nose. This wasn't how he was born. In 1906, on April 18th, an earthquake happened, and four-year-old Ansel was sent flying into a wall where he broke his nose. Honestly, that hurt so bad. So if you look at pictures, he does have a kind of a crooked nose, and this was a very traumatic experience for a four-year-old Ansel. Now, there was the panic of 1907, when for three weeks, the New York Stock Exchange fell at almost 50%. Because of this financial crisis, the family lost a lot of their wealth. Ansel's father, Charles, tried to rebuild their wealth, but it ended up putting a strain on the family. This caused Ansel's mother to go into a deep depression, and she kind of backed away from Ansel. This caused his father, Charles, to step in and kind of be the nurturing uh, parent more than his mother. This strain on the family caused a lot of stress in the home, and Ansel would sense this stress. With this feeling, he would have uncontrollable uh, uncontrollable fits of crying when he was younger, and the whole home situation just really stressed him out. Ansel was an odd-looking boy, very scrawny with big ears. He often would get bullied, and because he changed school so much, he never had a set-in-stone school life or really set friends. His father pulled him out of standard school and paid for private tutoring for him. Part of this reasoning is because Ansel could not sit still and struggled to comprehend much of what was being taught. Ansel states later in his life he probably would have been labeled as hyperactive and diagnosed with dyslexia. Because he was taken out of school, though, he did have private tutoring, and with that, Ansel could roam outside for hours, letting all this pent-up energy out. So his father constantly paid for tutoring, but also let him have the freedom of being out in nature. Charles knew Ansel needed extra love and time, so he did everything in his power to make sure Ansel got everything he needed to succeed. Charles tolerated this chaos that Ansel did, um, but he made sure to nurture him and push him with his talents. 
When Ansel was 12, he sat down at the piano and taught himself how to play and read music. He absolutely loved, loved, loved piano, which was crazy because he was all over the place. And piano had some strict discipline to it. I also think it's amazing he just taught himself, which that's really cool. That kind of tells you how intelligent Ansel was at such a young age. His father, Charles, would do everything he could to help Ansel, and later he would buy him pianos. Even though they couldn't really afford it, his father did what he could to push Ansel's talents further. At one point, when Ansel was 13, his father bought him a pass to the World's Fair, and Ansel went every day to learn new and exciting things he wouldn't have been able to learn in school. This pushed Ansel to think more creatively and just experience a world that he could never experience in a standard school. As I stated before that Ansel's father, Charles, would do everything he could to help his son. In later years, Ansel states his father helped power his positivity in life and on his talents. At 14 years old, 14 years old, Ansel would receive a book from his aunt about Yosemite. And from most accounts, he was just obsessed with this book. It was like he couldn't put it down and he craved more and more of Yosemite. So in 1916, his family took a train through the Sierra Nevada into Yosemite. This is where Ansel would receive his first camera ever, which was the Kodak number no. one box brownie camera, complete with a leather case and a strap. The Kodak number no. one box brownie camera was literally a box and it was released for the public to easily take a snapshot. It had a meniscus lens and cost a dollar, which today would be around $30. So a fairly cheap camera in today's standards. The film was also very low, which is why this was marketed for the people. The year it came out, they made improvements and released the number two version, which cost a dollar more. Ansel was taught how to take pictures with this camera, and from that point on, he literally just took pictures of everything at Yosemite. Later years, Ansel says that this was a new era for him, and he fell in love. So this small little adventure ended up changing his life. Taking photos was a chance for Ansel to liberate his own demons, the stress from home life, and an escape to a giant playground to capture what he saw. From this point on in his life, it became all about music and mountains. In the fall, he would practice piano for about six hours a day, and then when summer hit, he would venture back to Yosemite to take pictures. When Ansel looked at his first photographs, he did not like them. He actually hated them. He felt that what he took with his camera didn't portray how he felt when he was taking the photo. So this set Ansel on a path to learn everything he possibly could about photography at the time and how to process the film and how to um, process the photos and convey what he really felt at the time he was taking these pictures. In the summer of 1920, 19-year-old Ansel, who at the time was pursuing a career as a concert pianist, realized he still needed to practice while he was up in the mountains. He went on a search to find a piano, and eventually, he did find one. The piano was in a local artist's house named Harry Best. Not only was Ansel thrilled he found a piano in the valley, but Harry had a 17-year-old daughter named Virginia that Ansel was struck with. Virginia was training to be a classical singer and <clears throat> Virginia was training to be a classical singer and loved everything about poetry. Ansel was intrigued by her and enjoyed what she was interested in, and it seemed to fit what Ansel loved as well. The last thing that I, I think made Ansel fall for Virginia was the fact that she loved to hike. She often would out hike him on their adventures together, and throughout their time, they would have an on and off uh, again relationship. 
Every summer, Ansel would travel back to Yosemite, and I think he made a point to attempt to hike higher and further than the previous summer. During this time, for about seven years, Ansel would deeply struggle with his art. He was still trying to have a music career, but the mountains would keep calling him back. He was absolutely convinced that music was the higher art form, and that's why he was struggling so much with the relationship between the two. Now, during the years, Ansel and Virginia would soon become engaged. Not entirely sure on the date when that occurred, but it happened before 1925. This is because during 1925, Ansel would end up breaking off his engagement to Virginia via letter. I feel like this was back in the day's version of breaking up through text message. Like, that's not a fun time. Ansel, do better, my dude. The reasoning for this breakup, though, was because Ansel thought he couldn't have a relationship and the married life with what he wanted his career to be. He couldn't stay away, though. There was just something about Virginia that he couldn't resist. And in 1927, he wrote uh, he wrote her another letter about how music was wonderful, but the music world itself was just distorted. I'm sure he had some more in that letter that wooed Virginia because nine months later, they were married. They married in Yosemite at Virginia's house. Ansel was just 26 years old and Virginia 24. So thanks to Yosemite, it brought Ansel back to Virginia, but also back to photography. In April of that year, Ansel made the hike to Half Dome. And as he was climbing his way up, he would often stop to take pictures of the scenery um, or of Virginia. This is a spot at Half Dome, or (laughs) there is a spot at Half Dome that's called the Diving Board. It's literally a narrow rock-shaped spot that looks like a smaller version of a diving board. Ansel realized when he got up to the diving board that he had only two plates left. The hike up to Half Dome, to this specific spot, Ansel couldn't resist the urge to take photos. He only had two chances to get the perfect photo. Ansel set up his camera and took a photo. He realized in that moment that people were not going to get how he felt while standing at Half Dome. He visualized what he wanted people to see. So with that, he attached a red rotten filter. Pretty sure I said that wrong. (laughs) What this filter does is darken the sky when you take a photo. With one shot left, he took the picture and Ansel got the photograph that he was visualizing. This photo is just breathtaking. You can really place yourself where Ansel was and realize how huge Half Dome is. The contrast between the snow and the dark sky just flows so well and really gives almost this eerie but peaceful look to it. After the summer ended and fall began, Ansel's first photos would be published in San Francisco, all thanks to Albert Bender. Albert had invited uh, Ansel to his office where he looked through all the photos of High Sierra. Albert basically was like, we need to get these into a portfolio. With that, Albert gave a $500 check to Ansel for 10 copies of the book, which would sell at $50 each. And that was part of the pre-order. So Ansel would soon be a published man. In 1930, Virginia and Ansel would buy a house with a studio, which was located right next to his parents in San Francisco. With his own studio set up, his life going on the right track, Ansel just threw himself into everything photography. Because of this, he kind of missed out on some important life events. In 1933, Virginia gave birth to their first child, Michael, and Ansel was up hiking in the Sierra Nevada. Two years later, in 1935, their second child, Ann, was born. And yes, Ansel was in Yosemite doing work for a commercial job. 
Virginia was this kind of unsung hero in Ansel's life. She not only took care of the kids, but also she took over her father's business. Without her support, Ansel would not have been able to go out on these hikes and do photography full time. I also want to give her credit for giving birth, not having her husband there because I did that. And yeah, it's painful. (laughs) Backtracking a bit in 1931, though, Ansel had a vision. That photography is taking in reality, and instead of avoiding it, he embraced that fact that he could capture this moment in time. He wanted people to see what he felt in the purest of form. He strived for the greatest clarity and the best tonal range he could do. And if anything came this way, his way and wasn't part of that said vision, he would reject it. I'm going to have a little segue, though, just kind of explaining Ansel's process in the darkroom and his vision for his photographs. Ansel's subject matter was landscapes, and more importantly, mountains. Later in his career, he took more landscapes and interactions with the landscapes um, more than the mountains. This was mainly because of aging and not being able to climb as often as he would like. Ansel wanted to capture how the weather interacted with the landscape. He would often wait for the perfect moment to capture a storm cloud or or a fog rolling into the mountain range. He would often have a high horizon line in his earlier works that would be above eye level. This gave the viewer a sense of how enormous these landscapes were and to give a perspective of how Ansel felt to the viewer. With the high horizon line, he used negative space to his advantage to give that almost eerie, lonesome vibe to his photos. This would be all tied together with its intense contrast and use of light in his pictures. If you're wondering, all Ansel's photos are shot in black and white. This is done completely on purpose to give such an impactful contrast. Now, for Ansel to get the perfect shot, he would use an exposure meter to help him get the right amount of light and to figure out how much exposure time he needed for his film. He would also use filters such to get filters and such to get exactly what he wanted. Now, this this would be written down so when in the dark room he knew how long the exposure time was, and maybe if he went out on um a said day again that had cloud coverage. He could just look at what he wrote and use that for his exposure. Now, for Ansel to get the perfect shot, he would use an exposure... Oh, wait. I already said that. In the dark room, Ansel would test out the exposure times of the negatives to make sure the print comes out perfectly. This is where all the trial and error comes into play. This can take literally up to hours, sometimes days. In Ansel's dark room, he somehow worked magic. He had his enlarger on a railroad track. Yes, a railroad track. So he could easily move the enlarger back and forth. Um, this is also because later on in his life, he started doing huge murals of his photographs. So he needed something that was very well movable. And then he would place the um, photo paper on the wall with magnets to project it so it would burn into the paper. For those that don't know what an enlarger is, it's where you put your negative in and you project the image onto photo paper, like I said, causing the image to be burned. But it's not actually burnt onto the paper. There's chemistry involved, but I'm not going to get into that. (laughs) This is where the most important part would take place. Ansel would dodge and burn his images. Dodging would mean taking cardboard and blocking light to a certain area of an image so it doesn't become too dark. And burning is the opposite, where you would want an area to become dark, but blocking off areas you want to keep lighter. 
Now, you can find these exact terms in Photoshop if they do sound familiar and you use Photoshop. That's because digitally it does the same thing. Just in the dark room, you are physically doing it instead of a click of a mouse. From that point, then Ansel would develop his prints. And I'm not going to get into the chemistry of this, like I said earlier, but basically you have a developer, a stop bath, fixer, and then water that flows onto the print to wash it off. After that, you would hang your prints up to dry or now put them through a dryer for faster drying time. Like I said, I'm not going to get into full detail on the chemistry and breakdown of it, but I did want to give you an insight on how that works and what Ansel did in the dark room. Ansel worked primarily with medium and large format cameras. I know y'all have seen these before, but basically there's a lens at the front and slides go in the back. And in between those is a bellow, which is like an accordion looking thing that allows the camera person to move to focus the camera before the actual shot. Ansel shot primarily at F64, F-stop 64, which allowed for sharp detail. And it also made him a part of the F64 group, which is a group of photographers based in San Francisco that like to shoot at F64. Now that we got that part covered, we're heading into the year 1933. This is a year that Ansel would make his first voyage to the eastern part of the United States, and that is in New York. He went to meet up for he went to meet up the famous photographer Alfred Stieglitz to show him his portfolio. Alfred took Ansel's portfolio, carefully looked through it, not once, but twice, silently, did not say a single word. He then closed his portfolio back up, tied it together. He looked up and he stated. These are the finest photographs he has ever seen. This is one of the greatest moments in Ansel's career as an artist, and that was to be accepted by another great artist. This drove Ansel to keep going and to keep pushing himself to do better. With that, he never took a day off or a vacation. Really, the only time that he would take off is when he would be hungover and he really needed a day to kind of rest and recoup. This only happened occasionally. And Ansel was basically a well-oiled machine, but it was very difficult to be a photographer back then, so it's understandable why he worked consistently and he worked every single day. Um, as he was truly becoming a great photographer, though, the Great Depression hit. Now, during the Great Depression, Ansel was criticized because he was photographing landscapes and the environment and not what was happening in society. People didn't think the environment needed help, and boy, were they wrong, because, like, today... The environment needs a crazy amount of help. So Ansel was like so far ahead of his time because these photographs, you can look at them and you're like, holy shit, this is beautiful. And we need to preserve this. So good job, Ansel. And we'll get more into that later. <laughs> but Ansel felt his photos were that of art and not meant to send a political message, which is why he didn't take pictures of the social crisis that was happening around him at the time. In 1936, Ansel really wanted to push what he could do. He ended up spending about 20 hours in the darkroom just perfecting one print. Because he pushed himself so much to the point of exhaustion, he would often have to take breaks and step back from people just to kind of get back into the mindset and to go back and hike and take photos again. He didn't see himself as an environmentalist, but he really was. That's because in 1936, he headed to Washington to convince Congress to make Kings Canyon Wilderness a national park. And he calls himself, I'm not an environmentalist. Like, really, Ansel? You went to Congress. 
Pretty sure that means you're environmentalist. He would also take advantage of this trip, and he would stop by to see Alfred's secrets. This is when Alfred offered Ansel a one-man show at his gallery. This was the highest point in his career. This is when he really put everything he had into this show. He would spend days and days and days into the darkroom just perfecting one print for this show. This collection would be what he says is his best prints. During this time, while shooting, he ended up needing and hiring an assistant. This assistant would turn out to be Patsy English. Well, I think you can kind of guess what happened. He fell in love with her, but emotionally. From all accounts that I read during my research, nobody stated that they had a sexual affair. It was just more of an emotional affair. So I really do believe that he did not physically cheat on his wife, but he emotionally cheated on his wife. I mean, both are really, really bad, but I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. Emotional is just as bad as sexual, but anyway, we'll get into it. The affair put stress on him because it tore him, him apart between Virginia and he loved her just so much, but also he was putting on this show and he needed it to be the best show he possibly could ever do. He completely fell apart, and by the time the show presented, he was so physically exhausted, he couldn't take it anymore. Ansel ended up having a nervous breakdown, and he was hospitalized. He struggled for 18 months with coping with this breakdown, his depression, and the emptiness he felt on if he was to leave his family. And then he couldn't leave Virginia. She was his rock, she was his whole world, and he just couldn't let that out of his life. They were married for 50 years and they were married for 50 years and later he states it's the best decision he could have made and honestly all of his friends and family say that it's the best decision that he possibly could ever made because who knows what his life would have turned out if he left his family in 1937 ansel was approached by a walter star walter wanted ansel to make a book of photos to dedicate to his soon or <laughs> to his soon Uh, He wanted to dedicate um, a book of photos to his son who died on a hiking fall. This book would only have 500 copies and was called Sierra Nevada, the John Murr Trail. It's just a beautiful collection of Ansel's work and it's really a true photo masterpiece. You can still find this book today. (laughs) I googled it. Now the cheapest I say it's going for or saw that it's going for was $134, which... I probably think is a fake, but the most expensive was $7,500. So if you just so happen to stumble across this book in a family member's house or at a garage sale, I would totally snap that bad boy up because that'd be such a cool thing to have in your house, honestly. So everyone, keep your eyes peeled for an Ansel Adams book. (laughs) Now, this book was also, this book also helped with the whole Kings Canyon becoming a national park thing. Remember how I said Ansel went to uh, Washington and lobbied for it? Yeah. Well, these photos ended up all the way to Roosevelt, and he actually loved the images so much he wanted to keep them. But of course, Ansel wouldn't let that happen. So he later sent him a copy of one of the photos. And on March 4th, 1940, Roosevelt made Kings Canyon a national park. Thank you, Ansel, for giving us this beautiful treasure. Now, 
1941, Ansel started to work on murals. By murals, I mean huge photos of his landscapes, which I mentioned earlier. Remember when I was talking about his dark room, how his enlarger was on like a railroad track? Yeah, it was a lot easier for him to hold up or put up photo paper and basically burn the image into that and be able to move his enlarger back and forth than it was for him to actually like, you know, have a stationary enlarger. And he rigged the whole thing himself. According to his son, he had like the idea and then people came and helped him build it, which is pretty dang cool. Now, this is where his style changes, though. You see that he ends up getting rid of the horizon line altogether, and he starts making his photos have this limitless space. This allows the viewer to become completely lost within the photo and helps give his murals more of this massive look. Later on in that same year, though, he was on a road trip through New Mexico, and he came across the village. His son, Michael, recalls the car coming to a super fast stop and his dad running to set up his camera. Because this was during sunset, Ansel had to set up fast and only could take one shot before there was no light in the sky. This photograph would be called Moonrise Hernandez. It's hauntingly beautiful. He captured the light casting onto the gravestone so perfectly. Once you see the gravestone, your eye moves up to where the sky is and you see the clouds. And then you just see the moon surrounded by emptiness. Ansel had an eye and he just knew exactly how to capture and convey what he wanted with a single photograph. I can just stare at this photo for a while. When describing the way photography works, Ansel says this, the negative is equivalent of the composer's score. The print is equivalent of the conductor's performance. Honestly, couldn't agree more. Every one of Ansel's prints was a constant rebirth of an image that he took. It's why he spent hours in the darkroom perfecting it, because he didn't want to just put a photo out in the world. He wanted people to feel the presence of the moment he captured. As time went by and he became older, he started to take less and less photographs. It wasn't that he couldn't take photos. It was that his drive was gone. He spent a good part of two decades capturing and creating the right moment and prints for his viewer. Ansel would often feel guilty because he couldn't keep up with his stamina he had back in the day. As time went on, he came to meet a guy named Turnage, and he ultimately turned Ansel into, multi, into a multi-million dollar business. This made Ansel the first fine arts photographer in the world to be marketed. What he spent years trying to do and have enough money to support his family, he now made more than what, made more than what he could ever think of. Or ever imagine, and just from his photos. Now I wonder, wonder what we would have if Ansel Adams didn't become a photographer and stay in a classic pianist. Hmm, something to think about. Anyway, just because he couldn't go out and climb mountains like he used to, he still had a busy life late in his eighties. Ansel started making prints of the photos he didn't have time for previously. He published several books, was big in the environmental movement, which he stated he's not an environmentalist, but whatever, Ansel. <laughs> and he would lecture on photography and the environment. By the year 1979, the Museum of Modern Art in New York honored him with his own exhibit of his photos. And that same year, he was on the cover of Time magazine. The following year, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which was the highest civilian honor you can receive. I'm pretty sure everywhere or no, just the United States. I'm pretty sure it's just the United States. 
Anyway, in 1983, Ansel visited Yosemite one final time, just after his 80th birthday. His last photo he took was of a World War II bunker in the, in the year of 1984. On April 22nd, Ansel's heart would give out in the hospital. He was just 82 years old. Six months after his death, Congress would go on to name an area just southeast of Yosemite, which is, of course, Ansel's favorite place in the whole entire world. They would name it Ansel Adams Wilderness, and the following following year, in 1985, a peak would be named Mount Ansel Adams in the High Sierra. This would have a great impact and thrill to Ansel to the point where he could say those were the highlights of his career and his life. Well, thanks for joining me today on this art history adventure. I hope you learned something new and interesting about Ansel Adams. And if you haven't seen his work, please, 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 please go look at it. The resources I use are Ansel Adams, a documentary film by Rick Burns and AnselAdams.com. I'll be posting photos of some of his works I talked about in today's episode on Instagram, as well as photos of Ansel. Thank you to you, the listener, and please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on an episode. And I'll be next. <laughs> I'll be back next week. Bye. Also, I fixed my mic, so this should sound like ten billion times better. And also, I'm sorry that this is a shorter episode. Okay. Bye.